the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDeal. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 192. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... Um, this is Ed. <laughs> this is Stella. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of July 17th to July 31st. We have two books to cover. San Diego has came and went, and we have a... So we're going to talk about that. We also have a bunch of listener responses, uh, comments to talk about when we get to that part of the podcast. Um, there was a good chunk of books in general that have started to release over the past two weeks as well uh, when it comes to new titles within Rebirth, so we'll talk about that when we get to Greater Gotham. So let's just dive straight into comic news. So before we get into San Diego, just a quick heads up. There are a well, there's a DC All Access video that posted right before Comic Con that we have on the website. That is a first look at All Star Batman. It's more of an interview with Scott Snyder and John Romita Jr. about All Star Batman, um, kind of talking about it. So if you haven't been paying attention to any news regarding what the series is about, strongly suggest you take a look at that. Uh, kind of a cool generalized idea of what the series is going to be about. Um, there's that then, uh, but outside of that, there is no other news because even at Comic-Con, there was no specific news announced for the Batman universe. I will say, however, that, uh, Stella and Donovan and Josh, uh, were at Comic-Con. Stella took care of all of the comic related stuff. So Stella, you talked to a number of creators. Let's mm-hmm. hear your ins and outs of your highlights. <laughs> My highlights. Um, yeah, I talked to five different people, um, which you'll be able to see all these um, on the website, of course. But uh, Shay Fontana, who's the writer of DC Superhero Girls, and Tom King, who's the writer of Batman, James Tynion the Fourth, Detective, uh, Hope Larson, and Raphael Albuquerque on Batgirl, and then of course the big one, the White mm-hmm. Whale, uh, Scott Snyder, who's uh, going to be on, I guess, All Star Batman. And I think overall, the thing that I really enjoyed just talking with them is how excited all of these creators are for what they're doing. Because I think we've seen on panels, if we've gone to a comic convention or in interviews, that it doesn't seem like the creator is. I mean, where's the enthusiasm, you know? And as a fan, you want that enthusiasm to be there because you're a fan and you want the creator to be enthusiastic. And so that was, I just think, something that was really amazing. Especially, it really came through, I think, with Tom and uh, James because they were sort of reflecting on their upbringing on comics and being Tim fans. And you could tell that there are going to be some nods to Flashpoint, or pre-Flashpoint, I should say, which was one of the questions that I tried to get out of each of them. You know, how much are you going to go back to the past? And, you know, what does rebirth mean? to a certain extent in these books. So that, that was great. Um, as for, you know, the Batgirl title, that's not really going to be nodding back towards pre-Flashpoint, but is just going to take the Burnside run and, and move forward. So I think Rebirth is still a, a bit of an ambiguous term for me anyways. Um, I think some creators are going to 
reflect back on history, and, and some others will just sort of keep with the new 52 and, and move forward. All right. So in addition to those highlights, I'm taking an excerpt from the Scott Snyder interview because one of the questions that Stella asked Specifically, th- this all stemmed from uh, we, were, we were brainstorming at the end of the last podcast. Stella was asking us to help brainstorm some questions for Scott Snyder. And I had to come up with something much better than Oreos or chocolate chip because that's what Ed, Ed's, <laughs> on, Ed's question was. <laughs> We'd and be laughed out of the DC booth. Exactly, exactly. And that all being said, I thought to myself, I, I, you know, I follow Scott Snyder on Twitter. I follow a lot, all of the big writers from the – the, the books Detective Batman and All-Star Batman with Scott Snyder. And I follow these writers to see, you know, if they say anything, they'll send out some, you know, little pieces of preview art that, you know, is from some upcoming issue, whether it be next week's, whether it be next month's, or whether it be something that they just saw for the first time that we're not going to see for three months because, you know, the, the artist that they're working on is that far ahead. Mm-hmm. So all that being said, the writers themselves, at least based off of everything I've seen and read from the last couple months, these guys are extremely far ahead on everything that they're working on. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the deadlines for the arts and things like that. They've got, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure even though they're not saying it as much as they were at the beginning of the new 52 art is a big deal. They don't run, run into a lot of issues with, you know, fill in artists to do one or two pages and, uh, actually talk about something related to fill in artists in a minute, not related specifically to our main books, but uh, they're, they, uh, the whole thing is uh, they're, they're very far in advance. There was a question uh, I just saw recently. Uh, Tom King was saying, or somebody asked Tom King when uh, Mikkel Jannon was going to be back on the title. He was saying it was issue nine and he's already seen the first issue of his work already his work back when he comes back, which would be issue nine, but we're only on issue four right now that's coming out. So uh, we're reviewing three on this episode as you're listening to this four has come out. So there are already five issues ahead at this point, which is very interesting. But I think a lot of that has to do with maybe they're not necessarily five issues ahead, but the artists they're scheduling the stuff out that far in, in advance to make sure that the artists have plenty of time to get their stuff completed in their own individual issues. That being said, one of the other things that you tend to see with writers is they'll ask a question on Twitter about something related to what they're currently working on, whether it be like a suggestion of some random villain to use or whether it be, you know, uh, who, you know, did you prefer this version of my character? Do you prefer the classic version of the character or whatever? You sometimes see this, but you don't actually see it pan out in the issues until, months and months afterwards because they do have to work so far in advance. All of that being said, it's pretty interesting because Scott Snyder recently on Twitter was asking people uh, what kind of classic villains or D-list villains or no-name villains that you want to see in his book because there's an opportunity to have a lot of you know, cameos by a, a variety of uh, Batman villains, at least in the first couple story, uh, first couple issues or whatever. So the question that I, I I said was, wouldn't it be cool if we just gave a list of a bunch of villains to Scott Snyder and and gave and got his responses back for these? So rather than just reading off the list, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna play the actual audio from it so you can take a listen and hear what he has to say. 
So speaking of the villains, on Twitter you had asked for obscure villains, and I was yep. wondering if you were willing to do a rapid fire where I just list off them and you say yes, no, maybe, that and, they could appear. Yeah, but I don't want to give too many away. I okay, might say a lot so, of maybes. Okay, that's fine. Condiment King? No. Egghead? Maybe. Cavalier? Maybe. Sterling Silversmith? Uh, no. Bookworm? Yeah, I, that's it, probably a yes. Kite Man? Kite Man is in Batman. Polka Dot Man? No. Maxi Zeus? Uh, yes, later. Japanese? No. The Getaway Genius? No. Ten-Eyed Man? Uh, that he's in another book. King Tut? Yes, later. Dr. Phosphorus? Uh, maybe. The Baffler? Uh, no, I'm, I don't know the Baffler, actually. Mambat? No, Mambat's too big. He's, he's going to be in another book. Okay, Killer Moth? Yes. Firefly? Yes. Ventriloquist Arnold Wesker? Uh, he is in another book. Hush? Uh, he's no. He's also big. Ratcatcher? Uh, I thought about Ratcatcher, but I just thought he was too gross. He's not in it. <laughs> Mr. Toad? No. Deacon Blackfire? Another book. He's in another oh, okay. book. Magpie. Magpie is in it, actually. Outsider. Uh, no. Penny Plunderer. Uh, Penny Plunderer is not. Terrible Trio? Terrible Trio actually was in it, uh, and then they told me they're not sure if they're in continuity, but you might see them pop up. But there's so many others, from the Royal Flush Gang to yep. Hopperhead to uh, Gentleman Ghost to a lot. I didn't necessarily understand the continuity thing, because can't you kind of do whatever now? Well, or is, like, Rebirth girl. really... I mean, is that, like, a serious thing now? Is Rebirth actually, like, working these things together, so... Well, I think the I think it's more of a question of, like, the Terrible Trio, not super known for... I mean, they, they've appeared in Batman comics, but they're probably more well-known in other areas of the DC comics, or the DC universe, rather than specifically Batman. So maybe the idea was, you know, have they ever come across... Because I'm, I'm assuming that if they're going to show up in a in a Batman comic in just a cameo role, the idea is that they have have to have already been established as villains mm-hmm. for Batman or have dealt with Batman in the past. Trying to, he's trying to say is maybe they have not dealt with Batman in the continuity that they're going off of. He's not joking about the fact that they're going to put a lot of them in here, though, aren't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, King Tut, yes. Egghead, maybe. Come on, man. This is going to be fun. I thought it was weird that a couple of them that he confirmed were in other books, too. You know? Um, yes, definitely. I, and that's the ones I actually want to talk about more specifically. Because he said uh, Kite Man is going to be in Batman. Uh, that just blows my mind. That, that And Bookworm is like, also in Batman, too. Yeah, because and then Tom King released that when I was talking with him. Yeah, and and that's what's crazy. And then Ten-Eyed Man is in another book, and he said Man Bat was going to be in another book. Arnold Wesker Ventriloquist is going to be in another book. Mm. Um, so I mean, like those by themselves, uh, Deacon Blackfire as well. Those by themselves are really really interesting. I have to say, like I like the idea of them bringing back the original Ventriloquist with Arnold Wesker. I, you know. I didn't like. I don't have anything necessarily against the Paul Dini version of the character that he he had with Peyton uh, voice. That's not, that's not the one everyone's thinking about. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I would be. Thinking but everyone's of the thinking Gail about Simone the Gail one Simone one like, that was horrible. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was bad. And Fergie. But yeah. Um, so, but, well, yeah. it's funny also because he says you know in other books, so clearly it's either going to be Batman or Detective. We would assume so. Think? Yeah. 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 Especially with Man Bat. Saying that he's too big of a character. Oh, true. Nightwing, I, could, I guess. I could see them sneaking some of the other characters in the, into like maybe a, a Nightwing book, or. Yeah, but I don't know if that's going to be possible given the direction that they're going with the story at this point. 
Yeah, true. Um, and then the other one I would think about it in a character that I like. I really like the cult. And I, when he when you brought up Deacon Blackfire there, mm-hmm. you know, the cult was one of the only very few classic Batman stories that had Jason Todd as Batman. Maybe you could see Deacon Wrong. Blackfire play in Red Hood. Maybe. I mean, I mean that it's... would be interesting. Yeah. Of course, that means Scott Lodell is going to write Deacon Blackfire. Well. We'll get to that later on. But anyway, the other thing I wanted to talk about just briefly is the one bit of news, which it really wasn't news. It was kind of just like a uh, a correction to solicitation. So originally, when Justice League, or not Justice League, Suicide Squad uh, was announced as part of Rebirth, they're getting a Rebirth issue. Uh, the first issue is actually releasing this week. As you're listening to this, it's out. Um, and then in two weeks, they'll start the Suicide Squad run. And one of the big things, because Suicide Squad, the film, is releasing, Jim Lee is was, was supposed to be doing, like, the first five issues worth of art. Mm-hmm. And it came out right before Comic-Con, completely under the radar. It's almost as if they did it on purpose so that people would, you know, not pay attention to the announcement. But he is not going to be doing the full entire issues. Instead, they changed the entire format of the, of the comic where it won't be a full you know, full comic, he'll do a 12 page story and then they will fill the rest of the page count for the comic with backup stories done by other artists. Uh, the first one is done by Jason Fabic, and it was interesting because they announced it. Fabic said, yeah, I'm doing the, the story for the first issue that's coming out. Um, and then a couple days later, while he was while Comic Con was going on, I noticed on Twitter he made some comment about how he really he really does not like having super quick deadlines. And I thought that that might have just been a knock at the fact that the only project he's currently working on would be that Suicide Suicide Squad, and it was less than a month prior to the book releasing. So I had the strange suspicion that something happened, and Jim Lee dropped the ball with the art, and they scrambled to uh, figure out how to do this and went to Fabic and had him draw something very quickly with less than a month to go, which means that book could already be in some issues going well, forward. Well, not to mention 12, 12 pages is, isn't – that's half of it. That's half the book. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So It's a little uh, more than half because I think there's their, their page count says 20 pages now. But the okay. big thing is, the biggest thing about the the you know not doing it is like they were wording it in such a way where he was telling everybody, oh well, the idea is that we want really dynamic and action-packed issues or stories with big cliffhangers that leave you wanting more. But then I'm like, well, then what's the point of having a backup that's has nothing to do with the giant cliffhanger that you're doing? Like, Plus, there's just not enough pages to do a backup unless you're going to extend the book. Like, remember what they did with Batman for a while? They gave it, like, an extra eight pages or whatever it was? Yeah. When you've only got 20 to 22 pages, there's not really enough to add a backup, in my opinion, because the page count's already so slight. Uh, I think you're right, though. I think Jim Lee just couldn't keep up with getting the art done, um, which, remember, we were all kind of surprised when he got the Suicide Squad gig anyway. Well, yeah, and it, it's not just that. It's Well, we were surprised because, well... Of course, Jim Lee doing art is always a surprise. The fact that yeah, he was doing he was Suicide retired. Squad, the fact that he was doing Suicide yeah. Squad was kind of like, okay, well, they're clearly trying to put some emphasis on that book with the movie coming out. Okay. That makes sense. 
But the fact that it didn't even take the first issue to release before they had to change the format, <laughs> and the format changed less than a month before the release, just says something right there. Like, he can't even get one full issue complete. He only got less than, or, you know, a little bit more than half the book complete. That's That just says something by itself. And, and honestly, Facebook's it's kind of annoying. Stylish, I'll say that. Like, yeah. Facebook's a, a really good artist. Um and to go to him and this kind of sounds like this last minute, hey, hey, can you help me out that with the jam? I mean, if you're talking twelve pages, what you're basically saying is Jim Lee got one issue done for two issues, you yeah. know. So I mean, listen, I like Jim Lee's art. He's done some amazing things over the years, but and I get the fact that he's like what CEO, chief creative officer, whatever it is. No, so no, 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 he's just co-publisher. Oh, well, he's co-publisher. More titles. No, that's right. He's co-publisher. Um. I'm sure he's got other stuff to do, which is totally cool, but just didn't do that other stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, work on a graphic novel or something where we don't have to worry about the delays because no. I, I don't think any of us ever thought that this was going to this was gonna work. With that, that is all the news. Not a whole lot, as I said, but uh, we're going to have a little bit more discussion points when it comes to our listener Q&As mm-hmm. and some of the latest Rebirth issues that came out. So with that, we're going to dive straight into our comic book reviews, and we're going to start off with Batman. Batman number three, I Am Gotham, part three. Writer Tom King, pencils David Finch, inks Danny Meeky, and colors Jordi Belair. So stop me if you've heard this one before. Years ago on Park Row, a young couple and their son are walking home when they're involved in an attempted mugging. But before it can get too violent, Batman appears, say what? And he saves the family. But before he leaves, he tells the son that it's okay to be scared, but that means he gets the opportunity to fight the fear and then be brave. Now, in Robbinsville, this very same couple is talking to Matches Malone, whoever he is, and telling them how their son, Hank, became enamored of Batman after that thing, that, that event, and likewise their daughter, Claire, who just liked to emulate her brother. So they ended up giving back to the city in all ways. They trained. They did Red Cross work overseas. And one of these times that they were overseas, Hank and Claire asked her father to wire a large amount of money to them, which he did uh, without question, though he was curious. And they came back a month ago around the same time the city got Gotham and Gotham Girl. So, people, we are breaking the trope of, you know, superheroes and ultra egos where you think, how can anyone possibly not see through this? The parents see through it. So Matches Malone turns out to be Bruce Wayne. Who saw that coming? And he leaves the family just as a suicide bomber shouts, the monster men are coming, and sets off a bomb on the Vince Finkel Bridge. Gotham holds uh, the superhero. Gotham holds the bridge up as much as he is able while Gotham Girl rescues civilians until Batman arrives and supplies additional support. Hugo Strange watches all the action as he explains that the feelings of the Gothamites will be manipulated for the better until they happily declare that they are better than Gotham, and he's all the while talking to Amanda Waller. Back at the bridge, Batman says he will investigate while Gotham and Gotham Girl watch out for another bomb. He leaves in plain sight, which makes the duo think that he regards them uh, a little higher than before, and they discuss uh, what call they should cry when they go into action, which was cute, uh, just as another bomb goes off. 
when they arrive at the scene, they find my least favorite villain, Psycho Pirate, and Hugo Strange amidst the chaos of soldiers shooting one another. Strange explains that Psycho Pirate is the master of all emotions, including Gotham and Gotham Girls emotions, to be continued. Okay, so my first questions regarding their origin story. Um, what do you think of it now that we know more? And as a follow-up to that, in light of what we discover about these siblings, does it now seem more plausible that Batman would trust these two to safeguard Gotham? So sort of connecting to our last discussion. So you think of their origin story, does it now make sense, more sense, that Batman would trust them? Okay, so at this point, I think the origin story is fine. I don't have any real issues with it other than obviously the open-ended they needed a bunch of money and then they came <laughs> back with magical powers. Uh-huh. Not magical, but you know what I mean? Superpowers. Um, so, I mean, like that, I'm sure that'll be discussed at some point in the near future. I'm sure that's a story element, plot point that will pop up. I'm, sh- I'm sure of it. Um, but as far as Batman trusting them, I think that he he now understands that they are, you know, they have the right mindset. They have the right... Uh, mentality as to what they want to achieve, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, and he, he probably completely agrees with it. Mm. I'm sure in the back of Batman's mind, he's still questioning how they got their powers because, well, of course, that's that's what he would be thinking about. And, of course, he'd also be trying to figure out how to stop them if need be because it's Batman. So I would say, um, yeah, I, I think it would be – for him, it's perfectly fine because he knows their heart is in the right place. And he would be fine with that. I think that by fleshing this out a little bit, it makes it where we, you know, these aren't some mysterious, you know, villains or something like that. That you know, we we, we kind of have a more of a, a linear character progression. I bet you that that uh, like Dustin alluded to the um, getting a lot of cash and buying superpowers thing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, as we know the character of Batman, he may probably probably already knows how they got the powers. Um, and just we're not being shown yet. I'm absolutely 100% sure that we'll come back to it. Um, I guess the time frame, too, is the other one. What did you guys think the time frame was from when Batman saves Gotham and Gotham Girl when they're younger to in the alleyway? How, how, how long do you think that is? Ten. Ten years? That's what I'm thinking. Ten, ten something like that? Yeah, well, there's obviously there's some issues with the timeline of that because even if if Batman existed, if this happened in, like, year one of Batman and Batman, you know, this this he prevents this horrific event happening, inspires this child to become, you know, Batman, if ten years passes, at least as far as uh, New 52 is concerned, there is no ten years of Batman's... Uh, but we're stretching out now, right? Uh, I know that. I know. I know. We're stretching out. We're getting back to the normal timeline, which would make complete sense and work perfectly, and it would explain a lot. It would be much more explainable than the previous timeline that they tried to say. This is all five years, only five years. <laughs> but how can you have five Robins in five years? It's just. So I think this was this is kind of confirmation that the timeline's been stretched back out, right? I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. When I saw this, the first thing I thought was, oh, "Okay, these these people are from Gotham. They're not, you know, they're not Kryptonians, which I think makes a lot of sense. But why they want to save the city so much? I mean, I think that that Batman would always look at the reasons why they do something, like someone's motivations. I mean, that's something he's always been, he's always done. 
And I think at least he can understand their motivations now. Um, I don't know if he's connected to the fact that he's saved in the alleyway. I think he probably has. Uh, but we're, we're, he understands their motivations. For me, it makes them more trusting. I mean, we already have we have what happens at the end. But, you know, I was the one who was saying, hey, they're villains because that's what's going to happen. You know, um, but now I think that we have a little more backstory to them. They seem a lot more fleshed out. It does. If he knew everything that we now know uh, in the last issue and probably knows more than we do with how they um, purchased their powers, for lack of a better word, I think that, yeah, the whole trust issue thing that we talked about last issue um, kind of comes full circle here and, and really makes a whole lot more sense. I think also confirmation of the the stretching out of the timeline comes in the fact that Barbara Gordon had her her history as um, Oracle is now reinstated. Yes, true. So I, I think because clearly that can't be. I mean, they tried in the five years, but that really wouldn't make sense. Um, and I think I'd have to do more research, but I feel like that girl has to at least be. I feel like you have to at least be eighteen in order to do like these sort of dangerous Red Cross missions over, or even 21, I don't know. So I think that yeah, girl I mean, who is clearly, okay. Uh, well, yeah, anyway, you know, some sort of adult age. Um, so I she has a minimum to, would have to be like eight years because she doesn't look yeah. too young in the flashback. And the boy looks older, but I'd say like no less than like six to eight years. And 10 sounds better, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, it really I'll does. Yeah, i just put 10 out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as for me, uh, it's sort of a combination of factors because I think I talked with Tom King before I read this. I think that's sort of how the timeline, because um, I think 3 just came out last week, right? Is two that true? Two weeks. Or did it? Okay. Um, but talking with him and like... You know, as he was talking about his take on Batman and and why Gotham and Gotham Girl were around, um, it gave me like a better sense of you know getting into the mindset of Bruce Wayne and and why he would trust them. And then reading through this and actually seeing it firsthand, where you know Gotham lived, it was just sort of like an Earth Two situation of you know what what if uh, Bruce Wayne's parents had had survived, right, because he had been in that same circumstance. It's just that his parents had died. Um, but it's great that the the son decides to give back. And so, you know, yet another person who is just like the Robins, I guess, but in a better way. Um, not, I mean, the We Are Robins. Uh, you know, someone who is looking to become just like Batman and, and give back to the world. And I like the fact that they were not right away going out and being vigilantes but they were you know doing it monetarily because obviously they are wealthy and and giving back um, socially and and helping out and things like that so uh, I feel I, I enjoyed the origin story I liked that it was sort of this brother-sister partnership uh, you kind of wonder you know how did the girl get into it and it's interesting that they just went the path that she was at a sleepover, and he was the only one, but because she wanted to emulate her brother, she decided to go that factor. I, I like, you know, sort of brother-sister team, brother team-ups. It reminds me of my um, older brother. And I do, you know, I think that uh, it makes sense, given, given everything we saw with Batman, to potentially trust them. But I'm with Ed that I think also, you know, in a Tower of Babel sort of way, he, is, he probably has something that will take them down if need be, or he is looking for them or for it. So my second question and my last one is actually in regards to something we've been dancing around and it's the fact that they have these powers. Um, you know, they were normal humans and then, you know, some money conceivably helped them turn into supers overseas. 
could Gotham and Gotham Girl at all be connected with what is going on in uh, the new Superman title? Do you think they could be, because that was an experiment that basically turned them into Superman, so could they be connected? I mean, Or do you have any thoughts, I guess, uh, of how they got their powers? I don't have any specific thoughts. I, you know, I don't feel as if they're linked directly to Hugo Strange, at least with the reveal of this issue, um, with Hugo Strange popping up, right. our favorite villain, Psycho Pirate. <laughs> and like they, they did not seem to recognize him at all, so I don't feel as if he's involved, even though that's what I thought initially when you know the, we were first introduced to these characters. Um, so that being said, I don't know that it's that. Now, I... I didn't think about it being connected to the Superman series, but at the same time, you know, they are trying to get across this idea that everything within the DC universe is interconnected again. So that is one way you could do it um, by making it more believable that obviously things in other titles inter intersect with other titles and have effects. And that's one way you could show it. I guess I, I, you know, I don't have, I don't, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that's my first guess, but mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I think I wouldn't put it past as a, as a possibility. Um, as far as where they could have gotten their powers, the fact they needed a bunch of money, it almost feels like maybe they were kidnapped and oh, experimented yeah. on, experimented on, and the money was more of a ransom, but the mm-hmm. parents had no idea that it was a ransom. Um, maybe that's had something to do with it. You know, maybe there was some sort of, you know, whatever bad people that kidnapped them because of the stuff that they were involved in, just, you know, trying to help people. And there, they had to, you know, wire all, they had all this money wired over, but in turn, the bad people gave them over to somebody else that allowed them to be experimented on. And if it was on some other side of the world, I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, it's not as if, you know, I don't know. I'm just thinking from the mindset of Tom King, who's ex-CIA. I wouldn't put uh-huh. that it's idea true, yeah. either. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, that's all I've got at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's plenty of possibilities. You know, it's something that we are starting to see, though, is that they are trying to make the books into a more interconnected... I mean, think about what we went through. We went through New 52, then we went through DCU, which was continuity doesn't matter at all, back to continuity king again. Um, I could see them trying to link all this together, only because I was shocked when you guys were talking about how long in advance some of these issues are being planned out now, into the nines, you know? And how Scott Snyder seemed to have an encyclopedic knowledge of what every Batman character was doing and what books were people were coming into and what they weren't. I don't think we were at that point five years ago where they everyone knew what was going on in such detail. So maybe they are trying to put all this together. If so, I think it's kind of clever. Um, it, it takes it from more than just a one-off story here into more of a global thing that could be touching different books. Um, I kind of like that idea. And I, I don't have anything that would dissuade me that that's not the case. So I'm going to choose to believe that at this point, this is what I think is happening. I don't, the kidnapping thing is interesting, but for some reason, I, I don't know why I've just got this feeling that they ran into, you know, whatever, some, uh, down on his luck, mad scientist or, you know, down on his luck. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, don't think, 
like, uh, you know, hey, if you can toss me some shekels, I can give you some powers. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, so I, I think that they just bought these powers. Yeah, I'd love to know how you just come across somebody like that, but I mean, this is the DC Universe. Hey, you, you, you never know. Like, that guy on the street, could, that, that could be a down-the-walk mad scientist. You don't know that. I don't know that, you know? So, um, I mean, I've always wanted to build a giant, like, paper machete volcano, but like as big as my house in the backyard, but my wife won't let me do it. So like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like the, the science experiment you did with like the volcano and you put the gas. Yeah. I know what you're talking it. about. Yeah, but why? Like a giant one. This is the time of the podcast where I'm going to play the, the more, you know, but yeah. Like, I mean, I, I've always kind of thought if I had some for shekels, I'd put up like a barn in the back and turn it into like a mad science lab. So there's could be a guy out there. Um, so I think that's what happened. I think that they ran to some cat like that. They gave him a bag bag full of money, and uh, that's how they got their superpowers. But, All of a sudden, uh, this this sounds like the plot to Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the old guy, and he's like, hey, I, I know a treasure. That and, could also, you know, magic in the DC Universe, cause, so it could have genies. Um, but no, I do hope that it's connected at some point, because... Even if it's not like a major plot point, I think the idea of kind of tying stuff together is kind of groovy. So, uh, you know, it's funny that Dustin uh, mentioned the the ransom because actually that was one of the first things when I read it. I thought, oh man, you know, were they kidnapped? But it seems so out of the ordinary because normally when ransoms are asked for, it's not by the people who have been kidnapped, but well, by the kidnappers. Trying, but you got to also remember, the explanation from the parents was, you know, they the, the dad said that the kids had convinced him, you know, over the course of their childhood or teenage years or whatever, to you know, basically give up tons of money to charity all the time. So, mm-hmm. in his eyes, he was just thinking, well, this is just another one of those situations where they want, you know, to they're using the money to help. You know, he would never come across the idea of, oh, they're using the money for drugs and partying and stuff. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would also hope that with their training, uh, I don't recall. I remember we see weight training. I don't remember if we saw any fighting. I think we did. Um, that they would know how to handle themselves. Um Maybe that's just me. But, you know, if someone grabs you, hopefully in a foreign country, hopefully they would be able to take care of themselves. Well, the one thing that's interesting is look at it from a different perspective here for a second. And they disappear for a while and all they need in turn is a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. What if they were just traveling the world, learning skills like Batman did? Yeah. And they just, you know, they didn't have Alfred to call back and say, we need you to wire me some money, money for mm-hmm. a while. So just wired, you know, they had their day. I mean, like that's another possibility. Yeah, I, I think there's. I mean, it's so reminiscent of Batman, obviously, but um, I feel like it's not a cliche or any. Like, I'm not bored at all with what's going on. I'm very intrigued with it. So I think it's interesting just how it's very similar, but you know, it is very much a what if situation as well. So I I wonder if it's connected to the new Superman. Um, that was sort of what I was thinking. Like, how could I get superpowers? I don't think I would trust a nut on the street. Um, I think I would go to some sort of <laughs> well educated nut. Just I'm looking for the guy who has the cardboard booth set up saying "Mad Scientist for Sale." Yeah, you'll never look at yeah people out on the street the same way again now after this. It's all fun and games till we see that that's exactly how they got their power. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see. All right, so I'm going to give Batman a total of four out of five. 
Uh, I think that's the right number. It's, it's good. I mean, it's really good. Four out of five. Four out of five. Over on the website, Matthew also gave it four. So that's going to give Batman number three a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. <laughs> Detective Comics number 937, written by James Tynion IV, art by Alvaro Martinez. The issue starts off with Batman in the custody of the colony. They're inventorying all of the equipment that he has in his utility belt as they are trying to figure out exactly... uh, Well, they make a mention as to somebody named the General will be very interested to know all of the... uh, equipment that he has. Um, they notice that Batman's doing something with his tongue. They switch to an x-ray and they realize that he's doing something with his tooth. He has something in his tooth and they tell him to open up his mouth and he spits out what I will now refer to as the bat tooth. And oh my uh, as it turns out, it's a uh, smoke grenade. He has a smoke grenade built into his mouth. Um, he spits it out. The smoke uh, fills the room, and they can't see him. They go to thermal, but they still can't see him. He easily takes them out, but first he asks, um, where am I? Tell me where we are. They say they're just in some place that they call the cave. Uh, we cut to a splash page of the cave, which has bat tanks and bat jets and a giant bat statue that is uh, sitting on top of the world. We see uh, the colony members training and uh, we see that uh, on the other side of Gotham, uh, Red Robin, Orphan, Spoiler, and Batwoman are in the tunnels below the city with Clayface. And Robin is explaining that years ago, he's explaining this humongous history of Gotham City. Initially, when Gotham City started to dig uh, or were, was implementing subways and they were going to put subways, they dug down super deep and they started doing... They started digging the tunnels, and they were very close to being done when all of a sudden someone realized, we screwed up. Uh, (laughs) No subway is ever going to fit in the hole. Uh, As it turns out, the holes were three feet too thin, and there was no subway in the entire country that was made that would be able to fit in the tunnels that they were building. So in turn, instead of, I guess, making the tunnels bigger, that would make the most sense. But instead of that, they just decided to go 100 feet up and dig new tunnels at the right right measurements. Sure. So these old tunnels are all still existing underneath Gotham City, and Red Robin has implemented a brand-new transportation system for the Bat family, which... The best way to put it is they're they're basically bat. It's like a bat monorail system, mm-hmm. and uh, they have these That's ridiculously. The, they have these bat. Uh, he calls them pods, but they're basically these little pods that you sit in, and they can get you anywhere in the city in less than ten seconds. He says. So, uh, the only catch is he doesn't. He hasn't figured out the braking system. And the the best I think the best line out of this entire thing was uh, this is what happens when you give a 16 year old genius who doesn't sleep an unlimited budget, and uh, they show yeah. off these trains and I'm thinking to myself yeah yeah this this is Tim Drake this <laughs> is Tim Drake <laughs> this is Tim yeah. Drake I, I'm just I'm just pointing that out so then we cut to Batman who's investigating the colony's cave um, he comes across a desk which. 
for some weird reason has a picture of of Batman in front of a lightning bolt, mm-hmm. obviously reminiscent to uh, Dark Knight Dark Knight Returns. Um, when all of a sudden this person who goes by the name well not goes by his name is Ulysses Hadrian Armstrong. Um, he comes in and says that he's been he was recruited at, when he was fourteen. He he explains the whole idea of the colony. He even wants to get a selfie with Batman. Batman is tr- really trying to understand what exactly is going on, but basically he explains that uh, he has been scanning and monitoring and surveilling Batman's every move. He's trying to understand exactly what all of his weapons and gadgets and all of that stuff does. He has studied every single move and created an algorithm to explain to the colony members which moves to do in their own way uh, when they're in when they're in combat. Uh, he then says this all started back in Zero Year when Batman inspired um, inspired them to inspire inspired the government to start this project because Batman, as one man, was able to take down the Riddler even though there was no military or a police force that could take down the Riddler, but Batman as one man was able to do it. Um, This all happened, as he's explaining all of this, uh, he ends up showing him some footage of a bunch of missions that the uh, colony has taken care of, getting rid of dirty bombs and and taking down, but they, they, instead of Batman, they don't hold back, they're very lethal. And uh, basically what ends up happening is, as this is all being explained, Batman's not very happy about all of this, but uh, the, the, the general is explaining that he could do amazing things with his tech if he was just able to uh, you know, investigate a little bit more. Um, as Batman is about to uh, uh, take the general out of the building, it turns out we have a number of the colony members attack Batman, throw him through throw him through some glass when Jacob Kane appears and says, hello, Bruce. Of course, I know your uh, secret identity, um, but don't worry. Nobody else here knows what I'm saying because all they hear is static right now. Um, Batman refers to him as Uncle Jake, and he says, why, you know, I had so so much better plans for all of this. I had every intention to shaping this exactly the way I wanted with my daughter at the, uh, you know, in charge of everything. I was I was basically training her to become the uh, leader of this group, but you took her away from me, and that's pissed me off. So now I've got to re- react in in basically doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, he says they're all they're doing this and they're putting together, you know, they're in Gotham City because the League of Shadows is in Gotham City. Batman explains the League of Shadows Shadows is a myth and it's to frighten the disciples of Ra's al Ghul. The League of Assassins is the is the real threat. Um, and Jacob Kane says, Nope, you're blinded by your own ego. You have no idea what you're talking about. It's time to end this. Uh, when all of a sudden Batwoman appears and we see her command, the, her team of Red Robin, Spoiler, Clayface, Orphan, to attack. Next up, Enemy at the Gates. First, I want to talk about the General. So, obviously, this is a character who has existed previously in comics. This is specifically uh, the General, uh, Ulysses Armstrong, H. Armstrong, uh, this character existed in the 90s, um, dealt with Robin, Tim Drake, a lot. 
um, specifically in, in a couple storylines, but also dealt with Batman as well. But I always looked at him as and considered him a character that was more for Tim Drake than than Batman. Um, this is obviously a different take on the character. He's still young, as if uh, you know, as as he was in his previous origin. But now, in turn, he's just working with the Colonel. I think it's interesting that he calls himself the General, and there's other members of the colony that calls him the General. If in fact there's member, if in fact the actual leader is a colonel in uh, Jacob Kane. Bit of a rank problem there. Yeah, yeah I think there's there's a slight problem there, but maybe he just that's his own nickname that he's given himself, and Jacob Kane doesn't really care. Um, I also feel like he's probably a lot more in, invested, not necessarily invested, but involved with what's going on more so than Jacob Kane, since Jacob Kane has to probably be the public face for the organization within the, the ranks of the government. Um, so this guy's probably, you know, sending them out on the missions that they're supposed to go on and things like that. So maybe that's why he's, he's referred to as the general, but I just wanted to get your guys' take on this character. I don't know if, you know, I don't know if you're both super familiar with the character previously when the character, you know, was around in the nineties, if you've read anything with him in it or, or not, but just the, your, your take on the character as he's portrayed in this, in this issue. I don't. I remember him back when Tim had his own solo series, and I don't know if we know enough to know how much differences are there between the characters. Um, and then the other thing that makes me creep into is, will Tim Drake recognize the character? Like, how much are we connecting the world back together? You know what I'm saying? Like, because Tim would recognize the general, right? Without you would assume so, yeah. So if Tim doesn't recognize the general, does that mean that? We aren't linking, you know what I'm saying? Like, then, then that almost is like a, a bit of a confusion thing of, well, Batgirl was now Oracle. We've, we've stretched out the timeline. Tim doesn't recognize this character from his own run. Maybe he will recognize him. I don't think we have enough here to differentiate him yet because we just see him here. Um, age seems about right. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't, you know, really think about it too much, but, I mean, he just seems about normal. I just hope that Tim recognizes him. I was unaware of this character's history until you just brought it up. Um, I'm sort of in the the mid '90s just now, as I like I literally just read the Legacy crossover, so I'm I'm getting more versed in Batman's comic history in the '90s. But this is um, this is very new to me, so I can't comment on his connection to the the previous. Incarnation. I will say that in this particular issue, I found him exceptionally obnoxious. Um, I don't know if that was just me, but like, uh, I, he just was—he's very cocksure. He's, uh, you know, trying to get a selfie, like, not taking Batman seriously. Um, He—he's not really the person who would seem like, um, you know, like a, a criminal mastermind. Like, clearly he has the intelligence, so I think in that way he would be a good nemesis to, to Tim. But, um, I, well, I guess he's got the, uh, the when um, like, the personality quirks to, to match up with Tim. But I don't know. What, was it just me who thought that? I mean, he's wearing a Batman shirt, for goodness sake. I think, he's, I think ultimately he's just a giant he's, fan. Yeah, he's, like, a super fan. Like I don't know. Boy, but yeah. for me, I, yeah, I, um, I just thought that he was pretty obnoxious and I was okay with Batman, like, roughing him up a little bit. Yeah, so... Wasn't he... He had some connection to anarchy at some point, too, didn't he? He... He did. He's had a number of connections with 
a bunch of random villains. He first appeared in Detective Comics six six fifty four. It was created by Chuck Dixon. Okay, um, and he has he has faced Batman and Robin Tim Drake version on multiple occasions, looking at over look, looking over his history. But he's actually revealed that uh, he was working with Lonnie Mackin for a long period of time, which uh, if you aren't familiar, Lonnie Mackin is anarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's he's been around for a long time. And basically, he's the same age, but the gist of his character before was he was just enthralled with everything military, everything military. When, when he was a kid, um, he was very bored. He was in military school and ended up figuring out ways like manipulating ways of having the bullies that were picking on him end up working with him to become his henchman and, and uh, help him escape the school, uh, the military school that he was in because he was just too bored with it. So um, yeah, I mean like I'm fine with it. There there being, you know, some differences, you know, in some ways this is a more updated version of the character. I, I don't think that, in any yeah. way, you know, this is, you know, taking away from the previous appearances of the character. If anything, it's just reintroducing the character and getting him back into the fold, which I'm perfectly fine with. You know, I, you know, initially, I think one of my biggest complaints most of the time with new directions, new creators coming onto a book is that they tend to do all of these things where they want to ha- use their own creations. And it seems as if despite the fact that we're seeing new additions and not just this book, but also in Batman with the, you know, Gotham and Gotham girl, we see these new additions, but we still see the inclusion of other characters that have history with these characters. In this case, we see Jacob Kane, who has, who has uh, obviously a, a, a relationship with his own daughter, Kate Kane, Batwoman. Um, but now we see the general um, in Batman. We see Hugo strange popping up and Amanda Waller. So there's plenty of like, it's like a mix. Again, it's it's not like the New Fifty Two where everything has to be new and you know shiny and oh it's it's just different. It's all different than it was before. It's kind of like a mix between the new and the old, which I, I'm really enjoying. So the other thing uh, I wanted to discuss is so the well the only other thing that I think is really cool is the the Tim Drake. The whole, you know, history element that Tim Drake is explaining to them, leading them to this this subway station that just happens to be at the base of Wayne Tower, and has these bat pods set up with the trains, and I and that line is just it, it to me is like it is exactly what Tim Drake would say. The line about him having the unlimited yeah. budget and he doesn't sleep and he's a sixteen year old, so of course what's he gonna do? He's gonna build some sort of crazy super fast monorail. Like, that's exactly what I picture Tim Drake as. And I feel as if the characterization of Tim Drake has been dead on since the very first issue of Detective Comics with James Tinian. And I really applaud that because, I mean, how many years did we talk about how Tim Drake was being underutilized as a character? And when he was being utilized, it was it was just an utter crap version of the character, not the version that we all like. And I feel as if, like, finally we're at the point where we can all just take a moment and breathe some air in and say, finally, they, someone has gotten Tim Drake right. Yeah, and again, it, this didn't have to be done through, like, some gigantic event. You just started writing the character, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. just started writing the character better, and things worked out fine. Um, I liked it with him, the, the, 
the, talking about the subway stuff, I do think that somebody at Gotham got fired because that's incompetence <laughs> on a level that it's rarely seen, even with the with the government performing tasks. Um, but no, yeah, I think this is a testament to hey, if if a character's going bad, maybe you don't have to kill him or or go through some you know big event changing time travel paradox. Maybe you can just start writing him better, which is all they did here. And all of a sudden, he seems to be back to form as the character we all knew pre New Fifty Two. I don't, uh, you know, have as strong a connection as you two do to him. And I, like I said, you know, since I'm in the '90s, I'm learning more and more about him and his character and everything. But uh, I, I think it is great to see. And and even so, you know, I can tell that this is certainly getting back to the true to form Tim Drake and the the one that everyone fell in love with. And so I'm very happy for uh, you two and and all the Tim Drake fans out there that uh, we have a character with his name uh, that is also acting just like him and written like him. And I think that goes to the fact that I, I think we, we have to give a lot of credit to Tynion here because, you know, in his interview with me, he was saying how Tim Drake is like, that was his Robin and growing up with him and everything. So I, I think this is like true, um, you know, a true fan writing some someone that uh, really means something to him. Uh, that is all I have to talk about in Detective Comics. I think it was a great issue. I don't think there's a whole lot of talking points. I think it was amazing how many different items Batman had in his utility belt. Uh, the fact that I think that they were on like ish, item 40, and they said that they were only on like 30% of the items that were in the belt so far. I think that's insane. Um, so that all being said, I thought it was a great issue. I'm going to give this four and a half out of five. Um, I'm going to stick with four out of five, and it's just both Batman and Detective right now are just hitting on all cylinders. Everything is really good right now. I'm also going to agree and say four out of five. And I will say that isn't this an interesting parallel to Batman because, you know, the general was saying that they're trying to be like Batman, but look at this way that they're doing it compared to Gotham and Gotham Girl. So it's interesting to sort of pair these two books together and see like the either or situation. Yeah, and I think that's true. And I think in some ways it's going about – doing the exact same thing but two different completely different ways which is interesting i'm interested to see how it ends up working out when these when detective and batman are part of the crossover come september with the monster men because i feel as if something's going to to clash i don't know i mean like i'm not trying to sit here and say that you can't have the stories work simultaneously because they are and i think they're they're working well um, but it'll be interesting to see when this, there's one story interacting with all of the with both books. It'll be interesting to see how they play that out. Um, Ian gave it four out of five, so that's going to give Detective Comics number nine thirty seven a total of four out of five. Batarangs. That is all of our in depth reviews. We're going to jump over to Greater Gotham. And- books that uh, came out on July 20th. As far as main TBU books, so just as a heads up, some of these books we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about just because it's the beginning of their new run. Uh, so the very first one we have as far as main TBU books goes is Batgirl and the Birds of Prey Rebirth number one. 
The hunt for Oracle begins as Batgirl, Barbara Gordon, Black Canary, Dinah Lance, and Huntress, Helena Bertinelli, Clyde. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right, so let's let's talk about this uh, issue for a second because this is another one of the new directions with some of these characters. Stella, what did you think of this issue? I am very appreciative of um, the Benson sisters and going down and, I guess, given the opportunity by DC Editorial to bring back the fact that Barbara Gordon was at one time Oracle. Um, I think more needs to, we need to sort of hash out, and, and I don't know if this is the place for it, but clearly there's a tie to pre-Flashpoint, so I'm hoping that there it does get flushed more, flushed out more that, um, you know, what she had been doing, the heroes that she had been working with. Um, it's interesting that Dinah says, you know, we would never bring up the Birds of Prey again. <laughs> Um, because obviously, you know, the the new Fifty Two, it it ended on such a sour note between them. Um, it's a bit of a bummer that Helena is she doesn't have the connection that has been established in the past um, between the three of them. But I think it'll it'll work its way in there. And another nod that uh, the Benson sisters did, if you read closely, um, going into Barbara's past, they mentioned the fact that um, she more took up the guise of Batgirl because of her father rather than Batman. And that's something that whenever anyone says that, you know, she has a crush on Batman or she's doing it because of Batman, like, I don't buy it at all because it was her father first and foremost. So, you know, reading this, I think um, Julie and Shauna understand the character and her history and how deep it is. And they're starting to bring that in. Um, but with that said, I think that there's still a lot to go and, and I'm not sure how it's all going to, to fit in because I think that's a tricky thing of Rebirth is that we want the past to be alive and well, but how you know what we have been dealing with the past five years or so. But overall, uh, I really liked it, and I'm looking forward to see how it moves on and and how Helena uh, comes to yeah comes into it, um, and then who the mysterious. Oracle is who I think it's probably a girl. I was like super analyzing that panel. Um, there's like there's Japanese paraphernalia there, so it could be like an anime fan or, or somebody. Um, but I, I think it's probably a girl. Okay, I mean that's a that's a better description than I could have given it. But, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But overall, I mean, I I would be I would I I'd second everything you just said about the book. I I think it was a really good job. It did a really good job of incorporating not only you know the pre flashpoint stuff that we all love, but the stuff that was also the New Fifty Two and not necessarily you know there's a lot of new 52 stuff that we, you know, we didn't like, but it does a good job of still making it as if it still occurred in a way where, you know, we're not going to sit here and just ignore the last five years, which for a lot of people, that's what new 52 was, you know, Hey, let's just ignore the last 70 years because we can. So in this case, it, you know, it feels as if they're doing it in a way where, you know, there are certain things that they clearly want to focus on and there are certain things that uh, they they want to be able to call back to. So I appreciate that. So then uh, main DC Universe books, uh, the we have Justice League number one. The Justice League are faced with a worldwide event that combines earthquakes, zombie-like beings, and alien insects as they all try to save the world. This was reviewed by Paul. He gave it three and a half out of five. 
I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Oh. Oh, really? I'm not, I'm not liking it, th- this at all. I am, I am going to give this a thumbs up. I mm. love the fact that they have Jessica and Simon in here shaking up with some new blood in the team. Here, here's um, the thing. You, you said the exact same thing last episode. I know. And it cannot just it. be, I love the team. I like it. I, I, think it's, I think it's just table setting right now. I mean, I think, and that's the problem with a lot of what number ones in the rebirths did, was they were just table setters. Um, I think it's okay. I mean, it's not it's not a Jeff Johns epic, but it's it's fine. Um, I don't I like how they're bringing Superman back in the mix with the, the death of the other Superman, of uh, the new Fifty Two Superman. I like how we're, they're bringing him in a little slower, and and the league is not as sure about him yet. Um, I like it. I'll split the difference. I did actually read it and give it a neutral. New Suicide Squad, number 22. The story delves into Harley Quinn's mind as it explores how she interprets the world around her. This was viewed by Bill. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Neutral. Secondary DC Universe books, uh, Green Arrow, number three. As Green Arrow continues his investigation as to who is behind the evil plot, Black Canary makes a brief appearance showing that she is she too is trying to figure out what is going on. And then we also had Injustice Gods Among Us, year five, number 14, which included digital chapters number 27 and 28. After rescuing Bruce from the regime, Cla- uh, Flash clashes with Superman, who is now who now deems Flash as a, a traitor to the cause. However, after killing King Shark to save Iris, Barry realizes the world is not as simple as he thought and renews his allegiance to the regime. All right, and then moving on to July 27th, uh, as far as main TV books, first up, Nightwing number one. Dick joins the Parliament of Owls as a double agent and is teamed with Raptor, a deadly assassin. After tying up some loose ends in Gotham City, Raptor appears and reveals that he knows who Dick Grayson really is. This was viewed by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, yeah, I think so. Thumbs up. It's a good start. Thumbs up. So... There, there's I, just briefly because we already had a rebirth issue of Nightwing. I don't want to delve too much into this, but the Parliament of Owls is something that was hinted at a while ago, and I think it's an interesting thing to bring back in to the mix. The fact that uh, they, the Parliament of Owls, opens their arms to Dick Grayson of all people is interesting because during the Night of Owls slash the Court of Owls, there was a whole storyline involving Dick Grayson and his link to, uh, what was it, Thomas Cobb? I believe yeah, his name he was. Yeah, was. Be, uh, he was supposed to be uh, being raised to be a, a talent, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was, yeah. So, I mean, like, it's interesting that this is happening. They haven't really focused too much on it, but uh, that part of it's interesting. There was also a lot of uh, interaction between... Dick and Bruce, Dick and Damien, Dick and uh, Barbara. Woo! So there was, it was a good issue. The only thing I thought was just semi-strange about it, it, I like the issue a lot, was the Parliament of Owls is now a worldwide thing, you know? And I remember when it kind of started, it was more, like, centered in Gotham. But it, it I like- think that's the case, but I think the reason why it changed was because the, f- the focus on the Court of Owls kind of wrapped up. Like, Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. You know, that was done, and the thing is, they still wanted to, like, there's still other creators who want to use this, and the fact that the Corvallis was this thing that supposedly existed all of this time, but never, you know, even Batman didn't even know about it, to it be revealed that, oh, wait, crap, it's a worldwide thing, that's not actually, 
you know, it's at least it's explainable to a degree. So it is. It just it, remember the, the court was always something that's supposed to be grounded in the past of Gotham. And it, and I get I guess you can still keep the story the same. Just say it started in Gotham and spread. I mean, there's no reason you can't do that. But overall, it was good. A lot of good character moments here. Uh, I really like the scene with with uh, him and Bruce. You know, I thought that was well done. It was like, what are you asking me for? Just go do, you know, do what you need to do. Um, good. I good. did. You liked that? I did. I thought that I had a big problem with that. Really? He was so cold after everything that like. Do Dick you really think done. it was cold, or do you I really? Think I I read it as really. He was just trusting of Dick of whatever his decision is. But I mean, look at Dick's face when he does. It. He's like, "Don't ask me." Like it seemed really harsh, like harsher than Batman normally hard. is. Yeah, but I think it would. I think it, the idea was like. I think it was being harsh, but it was like being like fatherly harsh, where it's like you don't <laughs> need to ask me to do anything. Yeah, so you're your own person. You, you know, I trust whatever you decide to do. I've read that. That was your son when you go upstairs, Damien. Well, you can do what you want to do. No, you watch Lego Batman. Where, there's plenty of times where if he says <laughs> he comes to me and asks me something, I will look at him like, "Why are you asking me that?" <laughs> You know you can do that. You don't oh, need man. to ask me that. But it, it's nice that I mean it's like a token of respect that you know he's asking for like confirmation of like you know is this okay? We're they're yeah, on a team. I mean, okay, fine, fine. Yeah. I, I you know, I guess the token of respect, fine. But the respect was thrown out the window. You know, once once you, you, you're pestering somebody about something that you don't need to be pestering them about. Okay. Just, just he was, it, we're, we're talking about Dick Grayson, not Damien, uh, <laughs> your son. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, but, yes, I, you know, doesn't this – this is going to tie into Court of Owls, Inc., isn't it? That's why they're going global because of the new book that's coming out? What? <laughs> just kidding. Because oh, it reminds you of I, I missed that. Uh, Court of Owls, Inc. Yeah, Court of Owls, Inc. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Will we'll write it? <laughs> yeah, you would buy it. <laughs> All right, Batgirl number one. Batgirl Barbara Gordon ventures beyond Burnside to travel Asia, starting with Japan, where she meets old friends and even older inspirations. This was reviewed by Ian. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Oh, man. I'm going to give it a thumbs up only because the fighting old lady in it was just cool. <laughs> like, that was, like, the most ridiculous cool thing I'd ever seen. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Can I talk a little bit about yes, this? Yes, please do. Okay, so this, for me, is almost the opposite of what Backer on the Birds of Prey was. Um, and even in the interview with Hope Larson, uh, it became clear to me that it's really going to just be a continuation of New 52, Batgirl Burnside. So I'm a little bit bummed only because Barbara Gordon, like I said before, that character has such a rich history to, you know, to turn to and bring forth. And I felt like the only nod to that we got was when she looked at the old lady and said, I used to be in a wheelchair too. Um, so that was a bit of a bummer. However, reading it, I did really enjoy it. But I think, you know, if you're a Barbara Gordon fan, which... I could be the only one who's like this. You just have to be like, this is continuing on. This is New 52, basically. This isn't going back to Flashpoint. But, so, see, I think, but I think the the thing behind that is that because Burnside happened, they changed the character from that dark, violent 
type right. character that she yeah. was during Gail Simone's run to, you know, a character mm-hmm. that connected with a lot more fans with the Burnside right. run. I feel as if there's not a real need to change the character yet again, and maybe again, that's yeah. why. Well, yeah. I, think, I think what they're trying to do here, and maybe we're going to see what we saw in, in Batman, is maybe they're just going to stretch her back out again, where she's had had been as Oracle and now Burnside was just the latest part of, of her long history. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be cool with that if they stretched it back out. Yeah. So I'm I mean, fine with that as well, but I think yeah. the, the reason I give it a neutral and not a thumbs up is I don't feel like this book is going to interact with anything. I feel it's like this is this book comes across as it's the new Tim Drake and Teen Titans book. It's a self-contained book, yeah. I think. Um, and I don't know how much background the birds of prey is is going to interact. I mean, one of my questions to Hope was, you know, are you having conversations with the Benson sisters? And she said, no, that that hasn't happened. I don't know if it will happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and and I told her, hey, in in Birds of Prey Rebirth number one, there was an editor's note that said, you know, check out what had been going on in Batgirl. So I don't know if. You know, on their side, they're going to reference anything, or they're just going to be. I doubt they're going to reference anything. I think they're just trying to point out because people were like, "How could Bar- Barbara Gordon be in Asia and on the Birds of Prey and, yeah. at the same time?" And they needed to do something, so they just said, "Well, Birds of Prey takes place after the story that's happening in Batgirl." Mm-hmm. That's that's basically the that well, that's what I got out of that editor's note, but. I don't know. I just look at it from the perspective of, you know, like, I'm fine, with, you know, like, to a degree, the Burnside stuff, like, it didn't, the character didn't interact too much with members of the Bat family or anything. Like, they had other characters like Luke Fox show up, Stephanie mm-hmm. Brown showed up, Dinah was still present, you know, during the run. So, I mean, like, there was elements that they, they still used in the series that, you know, kept the character connected, but literally taking the character and shipping her off to a completely different continent. Yeah. I don't see very many interaction with the characters that... I don't think there's going to be. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be either. It's completely new. I mean, I asked her if it's a world building, and she said, yeah. I mean, it's new villains, it's new characters, it's 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 yeah. all new. So I, I think... I, I, and I just feel like, in my mind, that's not what I want. That I mean, like, with Rebirth and all the great stuff that we're getting in these other titles... That's this is like something that I don't necessarily like. I don't want to see another world building story for Batgirl since it's only been about a little over two years since the last time it happened. Yeah, I think that's just the thing with Rebirth is that there's still no definite what is it. Yeah, I think some of like Batman and Detective I think are doing a good job of bridging the gap. Uh, but you know, Batgirl is an instance where it's just going on on one side. And again, you know, I, the tone is, I think, where it should be um, for a Batgirl story. So I'm happy there wasn't like, I don't know, death all abounding uh, throughout the pages, um, and and the art was great. So it's you know, I have positive things to say about it. I'm just you know, I wish there were some some ties, like you said, to the Batman family and and to her her rich history. All right, and then uh, so the. Another one was Red Hood and the Outlaws Rebirth Number 1. Jason recalls his past with Batman and mm-hmm, how he came mm-hmm. to be a Robin. After shooting the mayor, he meets with Batman to discuss infiltrating Black Mask's mob. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it 4.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a surprisingly thumbs up. It's absolutely a thumbs up. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's really good. And, and listen, we are the podcast of many Scott Lobdell jokes. Uh, oh, yeah. so, I mean, we... We yeah. have made fun of his I, for his I, I'm going to talk about this ones. in depth, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is good. I mean, it was really, really good. I mean, it was 
we don't see any of the members of the team. It's just Jason and Bruce, really. Uh, I mean, you can the see only him. time the only time you see any members of the team is in the the scopes of his guns. Yep. On the cover. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, this, so this is just a uh, Jason Todd. Well, I mean, Bruce obviously plays a big part in this one, but uh, this is kind of a Jason Todd solo story. Um, it really is a rebirth, tebla, a, a resetting of, of Jason's origins, which we don't get with every character. In this one, I think we now have a definitive, this is the history of Jason Todd as we currently sit. Yeah. Um, which I kind of wish we got a After I read this issue, I kind of wish that the Batgirl rebirth and things like that had been a little more like this issue and had reset the table for us and said, okay, this is definitively what has happened to these characters so we know exactly where you are with them. Um, That's and true. Like, Let's just know? think about this logically. Three months ago when it was announced that Scott Lobdell was going to be on this book, did, we, did any of us sit here and think to ourselves Sounds great. Like, what we were going to get? I don't yeah. think anybody expected what no, we got ahead and, of time. And to be honest, the, the, the solicit and even the cover images we saw, it's going to be Artemis and Bizarro and Jason Todd. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. You know, like. It's like but, the third tier Trinity. Yeah, seriously. Like, it, it just, just dumb. But this was. And like I said, I man, I really didn't think you'd hear this from me, but I think some of the other creators that did the Rebirth books could have borrowed a piece of the Lobdell playbook here and, and let us know exactly where we are with these characters now. Um. I thought this was very well done. And I've been, you know, I, I was bummed with, um, I guess I've not been like a, a Jason Todd fan, but in Eternal, I felt like he really started to um, get a better a better characterization. And so for him, and then I feel like we read this and him in this, and I thought, yeah, this is, you know, the type of character that I would like to see him portrayed as. And I thought that this interaction with Batman was really good because it seemed on point. You know, him saying, you know, why didn't you ask me or why didn't you trust me? Um, Which is, you know, certainly he's got to build up to that and everything. But I thought this was good. You know, there wasn't any useless <laughs> sex or gratuity in there like in, you know, other things. Um, but this is first issue, so, you know, I still may be hesitant because it was all him and what, what is going to happen when we add in these these strange characters with him. Sure, but, and I'm cautious of this title as well, but I have to say, like, just thinking about the fact that the series was Red Hood and the Outlaws, then it was Red Hood and Arsenal, and, you know, we've had multiple stories that talk about the back history of Jason Todd that Scott Lobdell himself has written. This is by far, in some ways, it shows that a writer can do a complete 180. Mm -hmm. There's so much stuff that Scott Lobdell has done over the past five years that we have obliterated by saying it's utter crap. Obliterated! Yeah, and in in reality, this this was pleasantly surprising. Like Picking up this issue and super hesitant going into it, reading, I was like, where has this guy been who wrote well, this comic? Because And remember, he did this one other time. Remember when it what was it? Uh was it Death of the Family? Where he wrote in the Red Hood, he had a couple of issues where he touched on Jason going back to Wayne Manor, remember? Yes, I think yeah, and those were good too. Yeah, so he's kinda of, what what I'm seeing here is let's dump the rest of the team and just make it a Jason Todd book. Yeah, because I think mm-hmm. that's ultimately what it needs to be. Yeah, I mean when you start having to put in you know, Starfire and Bizarro and like make it a make it a Jason Todd book. If you want to have other people co-star sometimes, sure, whatever, that's cool. But I think that 
this kind of gra- and the thing about it, we have this very grounded story about where he he fake kills the mayor and he's going deep undercover and the, you know the, going places where Batman can't because Red Hood's considered a villain and it, and and it is kind of engrossing and the whole idea that Bruce says you know hey you killing someone I'm coming for you you know like it's really well done but how do you take this type of grounded infiltration of black mask story and put Bizarro in it yeah. So. Yeah, because it's that same issue of presenting powers on a non-powered it, character. Yeah. So, do you think he could handle his own? Do you think people would buy, and would he be able to carry his own title? I don't know that. Like, I think the idea of Red Hood and the Outlaws is fine if they inter, inter, you know, interchange the characters that he was teamed up with, and they've never really played with that idea other than, you know, he was with Starfire and Arsenal in the beginning when the series first launched. Starfire ended up disappearing, then they changed the title and rebooted it to just uh, uh, Red Hood and Arsenal. And, like, the thing is, I think just leave it as the outlaws, but just interchange them. Do the same thing like they were doing in Suicide Squad for a while, or, you know, where they they interchange the characters, you know, at will whenever it makes sense for the story. That's what they should do. You know, if Red Hood has to go undercover, uh, you know, deep undercover where he's, you know, he's playing off that he's the villain... You could have the um, ambiguous outlaws or just anybody he's working alongside because he's undercover. And make them outlaws. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, have him have it. I mean, I could see it interesting having books where Red Head has to deal with some of the more unsavory characters. You know, like we have Clayface being dealt with in Detective or that kinder version of Killer Croc that we saw in the old Batwoman. You know, like, have him play with, like, outlaws, not... Roy, who's a drunk, that's not an outlaw. It's an idiot. You know, like I mean, and I think I think the biggest thing is, you know, have him with characters that, you know, play off what he is as a character instead of making yeah, the story yeah. about the other characters because we've seen that too many times. We saw the whole thing with uh, Starfire take up way too many pages. Um, that story with you know going way to her spaceship and all of yeah. this stuff, and you're just sitting there thinking like. What does this have anything to do? Like, how is this even in the realm of what Jason Todd would be dealing with? What I'd love to see is Jason Todd as, you know, a character that's portrayed as if he is the Punisher, but you see, like, he's not actually doing the stuff that everyone thinks he's doing. You see, like, behind the scenes yeah. of, like, he's killing somebody off and everyone thinks he's killing, but really what he's doing is he's making it look like he killed them. Kind of what he did right here. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, like like he did here, but like even to even like more of an extreme, like he has to get rid of somebody. He makes everybody think they're dead, but really he locks them up in some or drops them new off in prison China, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something. I think that would be a cool way to go about. Anyway, all right. So yeah. Harley Quinn number thirty. Um, Harley is on a quest to save a tree, an old man's memories, some retiree savings, and a and subway etiquette. This was viewed by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm gonna give this one a neutral. 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 No secondary TBU books. Uh, main DC Universe books include Titans number one. The Titans probe Wally's mind for any information that he may have about the theft of time. In the process of in the process, an old en- nemesis of Wally in the person of Abracadabra has been <laughs> awakened. This was viewed by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, I'm going to give this one. I mean, this one's so tough for me. I mean, th- they hint at the idea that. It- Abracadabra is what stole time, not the Watchman, which we all know isn't true. Um, it's just neutral-ish. I don't know. Yeah, I'll go with neutral. 
Team Titans number 22, the Titans still looking for Red Robin, receive his distress beacon. The Titans break into Belle Reeve to free their leader, but instead are the subjects of an audition to the Suicide Squad. This is viewed by Jim. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Neutral. And secondary DC Universe books, Deathstroke number 20, reluctantly part of Ra's al Ghul's army, slate teams with his son and daughter to take out a group of villains the series has been focusing on recently. After defeating them, Ra's orders that they hold off killing, which Slade does not obey. After that, Ra's challenges Slade only to have Jericho stop, step in to stop the fight. Ra's in turn releases the three of them from his service. All right, so that is all of our books for this episode. We're going to dive straight into our bat signal. We have a number of comments to talk about, so we're going to start off with our very first one, which comes from Ian. Great cast as usual. Looking forward to hearing Stella's adventures at the con. Smiley face. Regarding Tim in the last two years before Flashpoint, I really agree with Dustin about middle-aged men writing grown women throwing themselves at a teen boy. I'd go much further than saying it's interesting and say it's quite distasteful. Tim is a teen boy's fantasy, but he's meant to inspire all of us because he's a kid who, even before tragedy touched his life, cared enough about Batman to try to help him. Making him just the object of desire for a lot of female villains is lazy writing and really marred what was otherwise a very fun series in Red Robin. Side note, some people thought that Gates of Gotham hinted that Tim and Cass were romantically inclined. I never bought it, but that's mostly because I'm a huge Tim Steph shipper, as anyone following my comments know. Regarding Batman and sexism, I would agree that many writers of Batman have been sexist. I, unsurprisingly, have a strong disagreement with the idea that Stephanie Brown wasn't ready to be Robin. The story, as written, dictated that she couldn't stay Robin because editorial had already decided she was going to die. The writers were forced to come up with an arbitrary, idiotic, and unfair storyline which painted everyone involved in an out-of-character and negative light. Bill Willingham, the writer for Robin at the time, has said that he really wanted to keep Stephanie as Robin, and there's a link for uh, this particular episode that he was on, uh, not on our show, and sales numbers indicated that there was definitely interest in that. Even after she was fired, there was significant evidence that she was a worthy candidate. Ed Brubaker and Catwoman wrote that Catwoman was impressed with Steph in Catwoman number 34. Anyway, my totally not surprising thoughts. There's not a whole lot of questions there. I would agree with the uh, a lot of the statements you made about the sexism. Um, the the it's interesting that uh, Stephanie as Robin was the whole reason it was forced to end so quickly was actually because they already had plans to kill her. That oh, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, didn't I, I? can't say I did, I knew that, but I knew that it was very close makes to sense. when war games yeah. happened. So. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it makes sense. I feel as if, in some ways, somebody somebody just dropped the ball because one person said, "Hey, this is what I want to do," but didn't communicate it with the other people. Or, the, well, that's the editor's job is to make sure that the the plans for specific characters are carried on across the board throughout the writers. It's not necessarily the writers communicating with the other writers. That's not necessarily their job or responsibility. That's an editor's job. I I um I did want to I guess bring up I don't know how much I can talk about it with Tim and Cass the the romantically inclined business I think there were some moments um, 
that you could sense like there was something potentially between them. I specific I can't give you issue numbers, but there's the moment where in Cass's series, I do believe, um, Tim finds out about the um, flinch game that David Kane used to play with Cass. I don't know if you guys remember this, where if she flinched, she'd get shot. Remember this? He used a gun. <laughs> you, another, okay. another, another father of the year moment. Yeah. yeah. And and there, I think they were just in a fight, and he was helping to bandage her up, and and clear, you know, you could potentially like read into that, like ooh, but there, I, I think there was never really anything more than um, brother and sister, you know, relationship or, or feelings between the two of them. Um, I know, I feel like Donovan wrote an essay or something about her because uh, she's gone on dates, you know, with random people like Superboy. Um, but yeah, I think she would kind of stay away from that and she cares for Tim, but in a, in a different way. So I agree with you there, but I don't remember Gates of Gotham. Was it yeah. heavy hinting that they were together? Kinda, that was one that Snyder and <laughs> Higgins. Higgins wrote. Yeah. Um, and Tim and, and Cass were kind of in that. And, and I never got the feeling that they were, you know, smooch, 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 like totally involved, but you definitely, it yeah. seemed very plausible. Like yeah. it, it wouldn't have surprised me. And then kind of Gates of Gotham came out right about the same time as the new 52, right? Or very close to it, if I remember correctly, because it was when Snyder was writing Detective. Um, and I think that anything that was, anything they were going to do with the characters there kind of got blown up because then Cass and Stephanie both disappeared for years. Yeah. All right. So our next comment comes from Jerry. Another great podcast, guys. You brought up the Hanna-Barbera books, and I just want to give my thoughts about the ones I'm reading. I had high hopes for the post-apocalyptic wacky race land, but it turns out to be unreadable. There, <laughs> there are some good ideas, but it's confusing and hard to get a handle on anything that's happening. Scooby-Doo Apocalypse is much better, but the Scooby gang hasn't gelled. Is this a joke? Is this real? <laughs> No, Are this is exactly this is, no. I know last time to do. <laughs> this is crazy. Okay, they are all fighting with each other, and the characters, particularly Daphne, are terribly inconsistent. I'm not surprised at the drop off in sales. I haven't been reading Johnny Quest, so I can't comment on that. Does Johnny Quest take on zombies? The big surprise in the group has to be the Flintstones. I bought it as a goof just to see how bad it would be. I was amazed at the quality of the writing. The first issue is full of humor, drama, developing complex personal relationships, as well as interesting and ironic situations. There is no reason for this comic book to be as good as it is other than just good old-fashioned writing. My new <laughs> my new favorite book has to be Detective Comics. As you guys mentioned, the art has been amazing from the start. You talked about the suddenness of Kate's dad becoming a traitor. I see this as a good sign for Kate becoming a permanent part of the book. Kate loses her biological family and turns completely to the Bat family. I do agree that being sloppy with everyone's identities may come back to haunt future writers of these characters. I'm prepared for some head-spinning retcons in the future. My, ugh. My musings as to whether Batman is sexist or not. As you guys pointed out, the attitudes of any fictional character are a function of the writer responding to whatever cultural issues they think are important or relevant at their time in history. This is true for sexism, racism, patriotism, homophobia, etc. Most comic book writers are straight white American males, and even when they are trying to be sensitive, they can come across as pandering and out of touch, especially when they are trying to comment on something they don't have any life experience with. While it is historically interesting to see members of the dominant culture trying to come to terms with diversity, it also squeezes out other voices that, as it turns out, are far more interesting. 
Has Batman ever been written by a woman? It would be in really interesting if DC gave a female writer time to develop Batman and the Bat family. We shouldn't give a hoot about protecting our privilege. Great art is more satisfying. Oh, and then he has an edit, and he says that Hanna-Barbera isn't doing Johnny Quest. It is Future Quest. His bad. Right. So thank you for the update on the Hanna-Barbera stuff. Obviously, we don't cover that stuff, but it, it, it was interesting to know why it could have possibly dropped. Could it have been the fact that it was... You know that there's story issues. I don't know. I know Wacky Raceland people. I, I've people have not been liking that book at all. Um, they say it's just too disjointed and all over the place. Um, as far as um, whether and as far as the the art, I have to say, like you know, we said this obviously, and you you're, you were repeating what we said with the art, but they've been doing a good job. And the fact that like we now learn that they potentially could be five issues ahead um, and having the artists work on their entire arcs all at the same time. I have to say that's huge props because DC has not have a good, has, has not had a good track record in the last two, three years about artists on books in general, even artists that are on their books. There's these weird situations where even the artists that are on the books, like Greg Capullo, who's on the series forever, you know, randomly takes a month off in the middle of a story because, he can't keep up reasons. with the, you know the schedule. I mean, yes, of course, there's reasons. There's always Great. reasons. But the thing is, it's just one of those situations where do I care about their reasons? No, I don't. Me as the person who's paying for the comic, I want a comic that has the artist that I am expecting to be on the book on the book. Uh, not that they ever solicited a Greg Capullo issue and then changed it. They never did that, but they have done that in plenty of other titles. So. That kind of stuff would, you know, that kind of stuff bugs me. So I'm glad that not only has the art been really good, but they've had, it's been consistent. And I know that we're only two months into, you know, Batman and Detective Comics at this point, but I think that at this point they've been doing a good job. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that um, it, it's going the way it needs to be. I, I am kind of surprised, I guess, the Hanna-Barbera stuff, because you had, you had brought up the sales numbers were kind of high on it. So I... I I have to be honest with you. Uh, our boy here has wrote in. Gary uh, writes a lot of reviews and stuff. And when he says that the Flintstones is better than it should be, and he's amazed by the quality of the writing, I could probably have to read it now. <laughs> like, I, like I gotta admit, like, if I'm in a comic shop this week and I see Flintstones number one there, I'm gonna buy it because I, I gotta see what this is all about. So, all right, I'll give it a shot. Why not? I, you know, getting to what you're talking about with art and, and the fact that, the, and I think you mentioned a couple of times how far ahead they are. I think, you know, the fear of God was put in them when these started going, you know, bi-weekly. And, and I think they realized what that actually means. And I'm glad that they took it seriously. So kudos uh, for that. Um, regarding... Uh, the you know having I guess people of like gender or um, orientation or race you know write for the characters that match that um, I agree to a certain extent because you know they do have that knowledge base whereas you know other people can't they they don't understand if if they haven't been in that place but I did go to the twentieth anniversary of uh, the Birds of Prey panel at San Diego Comic-Con, and um, Gail Simone had said that she was staying really far away from writing Wonder Woman because she didn't want to write it and be asked to write it just because she was a girl, and she had an anecdote of like Christopher Priest 
um, had said, that, you know, when offered to write, he said, you know, here's the question, is the character black? So I think to a certain extent, um, I agree with you. And then, you know, hearing it from writers' mouths that they don't want to be pigeonholed into writing. You know, people do want to write for, for other ones. But I think you're right that, you know, a woman writing Batman, that could certainly be interesting as well. All right. So then our next comment, uh, Ian comes back and he has a response to Jerry's comment. Totally agree about Detective Comics. Ha ha! I'm just full of non-surprises. It's amazing what the extra time has allowed Alvaro Martinez to produce compared to his already excellent work during the weekly Eternal series. I'm not convinced myself that secret identities within the Bat family are as much a concern anymore. Of course, I continue to insist that Steph knows Bat's identity. There needs to be some sort of debate or something, a discussion on this website about this with actual citations. I can't remember any well-known female Batman writers. I wonder how much of that is deliberate choice and how much is self-selection by preference. After all, both Marguerite Bennett and James Tynion IV were students of Scott Snyder and, at least apparently, got very similar opportunities. But Tynion has skewed towards writing a mix of Batman family members. Batman and Batwoman, <gasps> Harper Rowe, and Tim Drake, yeah. etc. Well, Bennett has focused on more exclusively female characters and ensembles. I would be interested in seeing what Gail Simone might have done with Batman during the height of her mm. Birds of Prey career. Hey, today I feel like she would focus too much on villains, or what Genevieve Valentine would do with the character, though she has expressed frustration with Batman as a character in interviews. She also wrote really great appearances in Catwoman and Batman and Robin Eternal. Uh, Donovan, whoever he is, responded and said, "No," responded and said, "Devin K. Grayson wrote the first 30 to 40 issues of the Gotham Knights title that was specifically created to feature the Bat Family, and he highly recommends it. So take that for what it's worth." And then Ian replies, "Oh yes, I forgot about Grayson. She wrote so prominently for Nightwing that her other work is sometimes unjustly forgotten." Thanks, Don. But I think the overall. Sure, that's how Ian meant it too. But I, but I think the overall takeaway from Ian's comment is there are not a whole lot of female writers who have specifically right, written yeah. Batman. Mm. Uh, Grayson has written specifically Nightwing a lot, but that's not Batman. Um, but Batman as a whole, I honestly can't think of any female writers who have written Batman like for a long period of time as, as Batman as the main character of the series. Well, remember what was it... Um... A year or two ago, when Becky Cloonan stepped in for Capallo, for Cap, she was the first female artist to do Batman. That was like a year and a half ago, to do the book Batman, Batman. I think it was longer than a year and a half ago. Wasn't that like right after the first arc with the first issue of Maybe it was. Uh, but it was. It was in the New 52. Yeah, it was in the New 52, but I think it was like only was it like after a, Court of just Owl a little over, just over a year or a little under a year. I think it was the August of 2012. Okay, so that was, yeah. It was longer, man, aging. Um, but she was the first female artist at that point that ever wrote Batman. Um, not I mean, wrote. Not wrote. That drew, drew Batman in Batman. Like, yeah. Batman Batman. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there really hasn't been a lot of female writers. I wonder if, if some of what they talk about here is, is is on the head that they they choose to. I'd love to have a, a Bat, Batman writer that was female because some of these, like, like Valentine um, with her Catwoman run, I think she could do a great, like, she really did the mob well. So I think I would love to read a Batman story with her centered around like the mob or something like that. I mean, she really seemed to have a graph on those characters. So um, hopefully we'll get some of that in the future. 
Right. And then Chris came on to say... Just a general comment. Great insights from you all. Excellent podcast. Chris is smart. Thank you very much. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. He's a kind man. And finally, Adam left a comment, although I, I'm unsure by reading it whether or not it was designated for us or whether or not it was designated for the normal <laughs> podcast, but we'll take a crack at it. I, I made it so far without it coming up. I was wondering if any of you have seen the Killing Joke adaptation and if you had any thoughts about it. What would you like the next animated Batman movie to be? Okay, so here's here's what I'm going to respond with this. The Killing Joke, by the time we're recording this, hasn't even been out a week digitally. Um, it was in theaters last week for, for two nights, um, but it's not out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, I can... I can answer for Stella because I know she doesn't want to talk about this. Stella did not watch it when she was at San Diego. Um, she has no intention of watching it. Um, I saw it in theaters um, the the second night, um, but I don't really necessarily want to talk about it at this point either. Ed, have you seen it? Saw so, Yep. I will say this. I felt like that, in my opinion, I'm, I'm, if, if, if you haven't seen it, don't listen. Spoiler, right? If you haven't seen it, just skip. We're almost at the end. Just shut us off. There's two movies here. One is an adaptation of The Killing Joke, mm-hmm. and one is this thing that they've kind of bolted onto the front of the movie. I, I've been on Stella's podcast before when she did a big Killing Joke special. I don't really like The Killing Joke that much anymore. Um, but if taking all that aside, my personal viewpoints about that, if you look at that last 45 minutes of this movie as just an adaptation of The Killing Joke, it's a fine comic adaptation, Right. Like, if you enjoy the source material, you're probably going to enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's fine. It's it's Mark, Mark Hamill gives a very good performance as the Joker, and it's pretty well animated. Uh, I mean, I don't like a lot of the story, <laughs> but um, the that is okay. Like, it, that, that's kind of a, a meat and potatoes, almost page for page. Like, so much of the dialogue was lifted exactly from it, and some of the scenes were directly created out of the art. Um, so if you want to see an adaptation of the Killing Joke, that it, this here here it is. But then they bolted on this story to the front part of it that was ridiculous, in my opinion. Like, yeah, I, 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 I could sit here and, and shoot a hole in their holes in it, but I just think it was dumb. Yeah, I, mean, I thought the whole. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because honestly, I've uh, had some discussions, and I think we're going to end up actually doing a special about this that that specific oh, okay. movie as a All whole, right. just because. There's certain things that I'd like to discuss. We don't want to spend too much time yeah. discussing here. Once it comes out, we'll put something together and we'll we'll have a little discussion about it. And I know there's a couple people I've talked to who would like to discuss this as well. So I'll leave that at that. As far as any other Batman comic stories that I'd like to see adapted, um, there's a couple. I The main one is I'd like to see some sort of adaption of Batman No Man's Land, but I feel like the story itself is such a large scope that I feel like they'd end up butchering it in some way that I wouldn't be thrilled with. Um, I still feel like Nightfall would be a good story as well, but again, that's a story that could be multiple parts as well. One that's kind of off the wall, Batman the Cult, mm-hmm. I think oh, would, yeah, would, really would make a really good yeah. animated story. Um, but those are the ones that I, I would stick with for right now. I think that No Man's Land would be cool, but I think the only way to do that would be like a Batman TV series, like 26 episodes, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think if you had a full series to do it on like a proper animated show would be be awesome. Um, I'm going to look at like one of the Elseworlds. I think that if you got the right animation team doing Gotham by Gaslight would be super cool, you know? Um, something like that that's kind of out of the Elseworlds would be neat. Um, I'd like to see him take a stab at a hush. I think that 
you could dial that back to about an hour 20, hour and 30. I mean, you have to, you'd have to slow down the plot, but I think Hush is one of those ones that could be a lot of fun with a lot of different characters in it. Um, and there's, there's, there's a lot of my, I, I would like to see even, even maybe like Long Halloween or something like that. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, there's some, there's some good ones out there that, you know, still makes that last choice even seem even stranger. Yeah. And and Red Rain, I think would be. Oh, that'd be fun. You know, yeah. and if you're looking for that R-rated, I I thought you know the Cult was certainly one of them yeah, that, that I thought would be great. And and how wonderful also to have an adaptation, well, a story with Jason Todd obviously as Robin, but a Jason Todd that is respectable, and you know yeah. seems to be he's got you know, his head on his shoulders and is doing the right thing. I mean, he snaps Batman out of it. So I, I feel like, you know, if you are looking for a, a different audience or to try something different, then why not have a, a Jason Todd as Robin story where he's actually doing what he should be doing. You know, I'll take this in the broader scope, and of, of course, you know, I will add Batgirl Year One, which um, I will say in regards, I know, <clears throat> in regards to the killing joke, I have heard that at the end, spoilers, um, Oracle pops up, and uh, it in no way lessens the heartbreak that occurs in the first 30 minutes of the story, but I'm hoping that they take this and run with it, and it's not just Oracle helping out the Bat Universe, but they potentially make a, a Birds of Prey film of some sort. Uh, I think that would have a wide audience and I think we're beyond the, the danger. Wow, this is like nostalgia because the first time I came on the Batman universe, I just called in and Dustin was talking to me about my Batgirl Year One petition and was and then I brought up, you know, the Wonder Woman and the whole thing was they, they were going to do a sequel to the Wonder Woman animated film which is amazing but didn't because it didn't get the sales that they were expecting and that of course put the, the Knicks on Batgirl. But now that we have a Supergirl TV series. We have a Wonder Woman film that's coming out that looks kick ass. It looks so good. Like now is the time to start bringing in more female-led stories, and I think Birds of Prey would be the time to do that. I think uh, Batwoman Elegy would also be a really great story to do, especially since we just introduced Batwoman with uh, Bad Blood. So like she's in there um, mm. in the universe at least. So just to get bigger, I know he said Batman, but you know I kind of think big, <laughs> wider scale when that happens. With that, we're going to leave it. That is all of our comments that we have on the website. I do want to remind you that, uh, as I've said multiple times in the past, we are in fact still raising funds for the server uh, increase that we had on the website. I implore you to head over to the website, look in the right sidebar for uh, the area that says TVU Server Drive. Uh, we're, we're at about 41%, so we have raised Went a little up. bit of money uh, since the last episode. So thank you for those of you who have supported. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned, uh, we are working on, if we can get this completely funded, we're working on some things going forward to help support the website. Basically, we need to raise those funds to get the servers paid for, Yes, but in order for this not to occur again in the future where we need to raise so much money all at once, we have a plan that we are hoping to put in place once we get the servers completely paid for so that for going into the future, we can continue to have all of these things resolved ahead of time and not having to be scrambling for funds right away. So. That's what I was meaning. So we have a plan put in place, but in the meantime, we need to get the servers paid for now. So I implore you to help out 
with those costs. In and can I say something real yes. quick? I was just thinking about this because, you know, I put out the little, you know, this PSA on Backroll the Oracle, and I thought, you know, on iTunes for songs, we pay like a dollar twenty nine, And, you know, we, we're getting this these every week, every other week for free, and so just like a dollar from somebody, you know, if each of our would, would just go so far. So, I mean, just a dollar would be so helpful. From Think everyone. about it like this, in perspective of that, one song is generally no more than five minutes long. Yeah. We give you two hours of content every two weeks. So yep. going on, uh, I also, as always, am still looking for people to help out with the website in regards to if you have any sort of web skills whatsoever, or you are a YouTuber who is interested in getting involved with us, or you have video editing skills that you can help us out with, or graphic design, or you like to write articles or reviews, we're always looking for people to come into the TBU family and uh, help us out with future projects. So with that, head over to the website, check out all the news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. The It's been a while, but the, the Batman Universe podcast has returned after a two-month hiatus due to mm-hmm. some unforeseen issues that have occurred scheduling wise, but they are back. They released a new episode this week. So check out that, check out all the other podcasts that have been consistently uh, releasing new episodes, including Robin, everyone's Drake back with Oracle bat fans, Bruce Wayne's world and uh, bat books for beginners. Also, just as a heads up, the guys who are currently uh, heading up back books for beginners, they will be ending their run on the podcast this December. So if you are interested in potentially heading up Bat Books for Beginners with you and a friend or you and somebody else you know from the internet, you want to take over... Or the over, crazy scientist on the street. Sure, that crazy scientist on the street. He's looking, he's looking for a bag of cash. So if you yeah. Bag, yeah. So anyway, so if you are potentially interested in heading up a podcast on the Batman Universe, this podcast, the Bat Books for Beginners, does have a specific end date. It is not meant to last forever. Um, looking at the schedule, once they are done, you would be if you if you keep on schedule of every once a month, you'll be doing it for quite some time. But if we could actually get it up to twice per month, we would actually be done in just under two years. So it would be a two-year commitment if you were to do two episodes oh, per wow. month. So. The end is in sight, but we do need someone to take over because those guys, Sounds like it. Yeah. those guys who have been doing it have been doing it for just uh, just over two years at this point, I think. So the you know they have other commitments that have come up and they are not going to be able to do it, but they have promised that they will continue to do it until December. So we have some time to recruit some new people and get them interested in what we are doing. Um, but yeah, if you have any, if you are inclined to potentially take on that or interested, email me at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and I will get in touch with you and we'll talk about it. So with that, also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Be sure to leave reviews on iTunes and as always, leave your comments in the comment section on the podcast post and we will discuss those the next time we have an episode, which will be, in fact, in two weeks. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. 
Um, this is Ed. And this is Stella. And just a little note, um, if you want to hear uncut interview audio and then the roundtables from uh, Batman Unlimited and Hero of the Year, then check out my San Diego Comic-Con wrap-up, which will be out the second Wednesday in August. So in other words, less than a week from the time you're hearing this. <laughs> Well, I thought I'd be specific. Well, that's fine. I'm just I'm just being specific here. Let's let let's give extremely specifics. As you're listening to this, you're probably knowing that our fan base is rabid for new episodes. You're listening to this the weekend of August fifth, sixth, and seventh. Stella's new episode will be posted on August tenth. There you so, go. There you go. Just a couple days. So with that, we will see you guys in two weeks.